Serial Entrepreneur. Hello and welcome back to the Serial Entrepreneur podcast. After a week off last week, we are back and we are back stronger. And today we have a lovely guest in the form of David Savage, Group Technology Evangelist at Harvey Nash Group. You will probably also know him as founder and host of the Tech Talks podcast. David, it's great to have you back on the show, as I believe you made a co-ho appearance with me last year, but now it's your turn to answer some of the questions. So how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. First up, uh, we ask all our guests, and you are no different. It is the Serial Entrepreneur podcast, so we have to ask you, what is your favourite breakfast cereal and why? It's really, really boring. I really like granola. Granola. Yeah, there's like a Jordan's. It's not the country crisp one, but there's Jordan's. They do like a nutty granola, and then I quite like that with with yogurt and honey and cranberries. Super boring and healthy. <laughs> no, I think you jazzed it up with the yogurt and the fruit. If you were having granola and milk, then I'd be like, oh, you know, a little bit boring. But yeah, I think you've jazzed it up a little bit. A little, yeah. But I sound so champagne socialist. Lived in London too long, like. I like Cocoa Pops. There we go. I was going to say, now you've moved out of London, do you think your breakfast taste might change slightly? No, because I live in the home counties. I live in Kent. I mean, it's even posher. I don't know about that, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's just, it's in the London orbit, right? Garden of England. Yeah. Everyone eats granola in the Garden of England. <laughs> well, we could talk about breakfast cereal all day, but what I really yeah. want to know about is... For those who may not know you or come across your you before, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and how it all started for you. Right, okay. So, background. Despite the lack of accent, I'm a Geordie, very much kind of born and bred, centre of Newcastle from the age of like naught to 10. Did you ever have an accent? More of an accent, yes. And when I go home, it comes out more. I mean, certainly when I'm around school friends. Yeah, my, like... I, my dad was in the church, so we we were placed in problem areas of the city, right in the city centre, about ten minute walk from the football ground. So that that was kind of a life sentence of purgatory, right there. But yeah, I grew up and then my, when we were about, when I was about ten, moved moved about twelve miles north into Northumberland, where my mum and dad still live. So very much kind of northeast, and then came south to Essex for university and uh, studied politics. So nothing to do with technology whatsoever. Spent a year after that in the Students' Union, running sports and societies, uh, kind of got elected into that post, which was a lot of fun and an ego trip and terribly damaging for a 21-year-old. <laughs> and then fell into a job in recruitment because I didn't have a bloody clue what to do. And I said to my mum and dad, oh, this will do for six months. This is probably a good idea whilst I work out what I should be doing. And then 14 years later, I'm still at the same company. Well, I mean, it's obviously worked out for you. And it's obviously, you know, there's more to it than falling into recruitment. Well, that, that well, no, in that initial bit, no. I, I, I genuinely kind of, I saw an advert online for something that I didn't understand. And I, I'd got myself a flat and had no, no income and I needed a job. And so it was a case of, what is this? It says, it says that you need to be good with people. I, I feel like I can do that. There's, there's nothing here that says that I can't do this. Let's, let's go for this because it's paying a salary. So it really was a case of I, I fell into it. I had no idea what it was. And did you enjoy it when you first started or did you dislike it? I mean, obviously you're still at the company, so. Yeah, no, look, I mean, did I enjoy the job when I first started it? Yes and no. 
like I love the company. I absolutely love the company and I love the culture and I love the people. And and the reason I've been at, at one place for 14 years is because my job has evolved every couple of years and the people are really supportive. And I enjoy what recruitment offered in terms of the opportunity at, at a really junior stage of a career to get in front of some really interesting people and have have conversations that felt felt like they meant something. <laughs> Did I enjoy spending six hours a day on the phone and it being because it was kind of 14 years ago more target driven than it was and and you know it was quite salesy and uh repetitive and that's the reality of what it was and linkedin was really new and was dealt with 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 a great amount of suspicion and it was basically email a database and a telephone so it was quite limited in terms of the job but it was, as I said, the ability that if you booked a meeting with the CIO, CTO, CEO of a business, aged 21, 22, 23, you could go out and meet them and, and talk to them. And, and that was that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, obviously, you do seem like quite a people person. So in that aspect, you there was parts to, to enjoy. So then how did you kind of get into the tech scene? How did that part of your journey start? Yeah, so look, it was a tech recruitment firm. I, as I said, I, I fell into it. There was no there was no design here that went, oh, I should work in tech. It was purely a case of, here's a recruitment company. It hires technology professionals. I didn't choose the market. I didn't, you know, it was literally a case of, okay, I have a job, I have a flat, I need some money, I need to make this work. But what I discovered what I what I what I do really believe is that if you if you're going to be good at that kind of consultative role, you have to you have to kind of show interest. You have to be able to have a proper conversation with people. You know, if you're if you're if you're booking a meeting with someone on their C level and they're talking about the kind of the, the the talent strategy or the people strategy of an organization, and you can't make some some half sensible comments or offer them some insight from the market, you're not off you're not offering anything. And there's no reason for them to meet you. So I quickly kind of went, right, I, I need I need to find out more about this. And then the more that I started reading about tech and paying attention to it, the more interesting I found it. So it became like a, an actual interesting kind of passion of your own, not just through work. And is this maybe where Tech Talks was born? Tell me how obviously that kind of evolved because that is a, a huge part and very, very successful. <laughs> well, it's it's a passion project that's that's gone quite well. I mean, in recruitment, you are targeted to get out and meet people, and you basically, as a as a consultant, when you're junior, you've got a couple, you've got like one thing that you can ask someone, which is, "Are you hiring? Can I come and meet you?" Uh, and maybe if your company kind of provides you with some literature, you can go. We've got a survey. I can come and show you this and it's free. And then maybe I can ask whether or not you're hiring. Um, so it's kind of quite limited in that regard. But at university, I was a, com I was a complete nerd. I mean, I've always been a bit of a nerd. And I, I had a radio show and I've always loved writing. I love science fiction. I love fantasy. I'm very excited about June coming out. So so all of that kind of aspect of things, you know, content and, and literature was always kind of there. And I loved writing blogs. And, and I started going to a few events and I thought, the conversations that people have aren't very interesting. They don't really offer much insight. They all sit there and agree with each other. My job is to interview people for a living. All right, about jobs, but it's the same skill set. Why couldn't I interview them and, and record it and put it out there? And it wouldn't have been a podcast if I'd had money and time and expertise. It would have been a YouTube channel because podcasts were not popular. 
I mean, they'd been popular with Ricky Gervais back at, you know, 10 years before that, but then they'd kind of disappeared again. And so, yeah, I, I, I started podcasting simply because I wanted to find a way to talk to people. I felt that there was some kind of, there was something missing and that people weren't really sharing their stories as much as they could. But ultimately, I, re- I, I kind of went, this is an opportunity for me to call someone and not talk about something that everyone else is talking about in my industry and say to them, I'd like to share your story. And that'll be different and that'll be interesting. And perhaps they'll say yes. And, and it was the lowest barrier of entry, the cheapest way of doing it, the best way that I could I could learn. And so, you know, right, free edits, free software in terms of Audacity, which I still use. And, and you know, I didn't have microphones or anything at that point. It was literally stick a phone on the, on the, in the middle of a table and hit record. And those early episodes, which are still online, are shocking. But it was just learning and, and, and experimenting. And, and from there, it just kind of snowballed and evolved. Is it not sometimes, do you look back and like, feel kind of like proud and I know you said they're shocking but like looking back you're like oh that was the beginning like look you know I, you still love them as though they are your little babies I'm not I'm not embarrassed about them I think it's a badge of honor that they're pretty rubbish like a few years ago blue when I started kind of doing more with blue microphones they said will you do a series about podcasting for us I said, yeah, look, I'm not particularly interested in kind of commercial agreements or whatever else. They they very kindly supplied me with some with some new microphones and stuff. And I was like, all right, fine. That's that's plenty. You know what? I'll do six episodes. And they're on the tech, they're actually on Tech Talks. They're on there on the SoundCloud page as a playlist. And I think if you scroll back far enough, you'll you'll find them. But we did them as kind of like this this kind of mini serial on it of its own, where I went out and interviewed six other podcasters that I knew and and talked to them about how they put together their shows. So they're like half an hour chats with with people who run podcasts and I, and I kind of got very kind of well, I'm going to go down the route of there's, there's a guy who runs a running podcast that I like so I talked to him and it was an it was an excuse to talk about all sorts of different subjects but one of the guys on there um was David Breer who is CEO of 11FS which is one of the big fintech consultancies fintech insiders is like one of the most listened to business business um, podcasts in the UK and he said to me the first 10 of anything that you do will be rubbish but that's fine and it's entirely true. Like when you start something, don't expect it to be brilliant because it probably won't be, but that's that's totally fine. So long as you are open to kind of iterating and all of those kind of buzzwords that we use, but, you know, genuinely kind of going, all right, that worked, that didn't work, keep that, drop that, do this, then that's fine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, looking back at some of the first episodes we did, I sound so robotic reading from a script like it's awful and I was I was literally thinking about this the other day like how far people can come in just a short space of time and I think learning as you go along is one of the best ways to progress and totally Totally. about about I don't know 60 70 episodes in I got I got a co-host because I spoke to some people who were listening to it and they were standalone interviews and I said look why do you listen to the podcast that you listen to and they said oh well because I like the the hosts and I thought about it and I was like, yeah, the, the stuff that I listen to, it's, it's more the hosts than anything. I like them and they're funny and whatever else. So yeah, I, sh- I should get a co-host because at the minute I don't have any, any continuity. I don't have anyone to bounce off. So there's this guy who doesn't work at Harvey Nash anymore, but Jack Pierce, who, who worked at Harvey Nash at the time, who I was on good terms with. And I said, look, you're, you're a bid writer. You're an English literature graduate. You're a bit different from most recruiters because you're not a recruiter <laughs> do you fancy do you fancy being co-host on the show with me and he's like yeah yeah sure of course and when we started 
was like, right, it's, it's a business podcast. You know, it's quite, it's got to be quite serious. And within five episodes, it was like, absolutely not. Like, this is a podcast. People are listening because they want to be entertained. So very quickly it evolved. But that's absolutely fine. Like you said, you, you, you know, you kind of go, well, it should be one thing. And then you, you go, maybe not actually. Yeah. And it's fine. Like, you have to put things out there for people to, to try and test and see if they yeah. like. You've given us, obviously, a few tips and tricks. But what I really wanted to ask you, uh, doing a podcast myself right now, yours obviously is very well received in the tech space and the business space. What is the secret to a good podcast? That's challenging, right? Because all podcasts are very different. Like... One of my favorite, my wife finds this hilarious, but one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is Love Island the Morning After. Oh, really? I did not expect that. It's the most listened to podcast in the UK. And it's like, if it's the most listened to podcast in the UK, they're doing something right. So therefore, if you're working in podcasting, maybe have a listen and go, well, what do they do? And I think there's an element of, I listen to a lot of different shows in different sectors about different things. Like I listen to stuff about football, I listen to comedy, I listen to news, I listen to what The Guardian puts out, I listen to stuff like Love Island, I'll you dip in and out of different shows and go what works what doesn't work there is no secret right like people will tell you that a podcast should be half an hour long it should be kind of long enough that someone might go out on a walk or a run and they can queue up an episode or two but they're not looking for extra content but it shouldn't be like really long but then you look at joe rogan in his in his absolute prime Arguably, since he's gone behind a paywall on Spotify, he's, he's lost some audience. But when he was on YouTube and, and, and it was free to listen to, he was putting out three-hour-long episodes and stuff. And it was arguably the most successful podcast in the world. So he didn't do anything that you were supposed to do. So I, th- I think the key to a successful podcast actually is finding that your tone of voice, listening, stealing, and, and finding out what, makes it work for you because that that coming back to that point it's people tune into to to people that they like and therefore as we all know in 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 just general life people don't like people who aren't genuine so if you're not yourself and you're not authentic and you don't enjoy it well people aren't going to listen yeah people are going to cotton on to that and definitely realize I think you're right. I think obviously, because there's no point in saying, oh, a podcast is X, Y, and Z, you should do X, Y, Z, and every podcast would be the same. And every person is different. Everyone has different preferences. So the people that are listening to, well, obviously everyone's listening to the Love Island one, but the people that are listening to Joe Rogan may not be listening to Tech Talks or et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I completely agree. I wasn't on the question spot. I highly recommend listening to Pitch Deck by Nick Telson, a podcast where seed startup founders pitch to Nick and a guest, angel investor, and then face a live Q&A about the business. Nick and his guests then discuss the opportunity very openly. It gives you a great insight into how angel investors think and what they're really looking for, as well as hearing loads of cool startup ideas and how different founders pitch. Nick himself sold his company, Design My Night, and is now founder of Horseplay Ventures that has invested in 40 startups to date. Search Pitch Deck by Nick on all podcast streaming platforms. You, you obviously said that podcasting kind of like was super popular. Or it had its like little time and then it kind of died to death a little bit. But at the moment, it seems to have 
completely surged again in popularity especially the last 18 months or so people had a lot more time on their hands and we were kind of locked in for a little while especially in the winter months in this most recent lockdown and so obviously like reading and podcasting and obviously netflix as well obviously really took off did you notice that with with your podcast with tech talks that did you notice that people were relying on you more or listening more or engaging more we certainly saw a lift in listeners what actually happened is the the pandemic hit and the listenership dropped and then came back up. I think there was an initial maybe a few weeks where people were, their lives were all over the place and maybe their usual routines and whatever else got put to one side, which is totally understandable. And then once we were into that first lockdown, the figures took off. And I think there was that element that people were looking for stuff to listen to when they're out on walks and runs and, you know, uh, it's quite funny. I popped into a running shop in Canterbury a couple of weeks ago and they were like, yeah, like running, running and cycling, the two things that have done really well. They're moving. They're, so they're an independent sports shop and they're moving to a new shop in Canterbury that's bigger because of the demand. Right. And I think that that people wanted stuff to to consume. People had time. People wanted, people wanted space away from home. And I, I know that, I mean, I'm a, I'm an avid runner, but I, even if I don't, even if I've got a day where I'm not going for a run, I'll go for a walk. And still, even now, just because I find it quite useful to kind of wake up and then get out of the house for a bit and just whatever, kind of not be surrounded by the same four walls that I then am going to be for several hours worth of work. And people, people want soundtrack for that. Yeah, no, definitely. And like you say, obviously, during COVID, people were looking for new hobbies, looking for ways to kind of entertain themselves. And it took everyone by surprise. There was a, a lot of kind of changes in people's habits and lifestyles. What other kind of like trends and changes and stuff did, did you guys at, at Harvey Nash or yourself like notice during COVID? Changes in lifestyles. I mean, look, it, it's really, again, it's, it's a cop-out answer, but it's so different for, for, for so many different people. There was that surge of quizzes and stuff. Right. But I think there was a massive difference between people with children and people without children. If you had someone who you had to educate yourself, that was entirely different. I mean, that first lockdown did feel like a bit of a holiday, if I'm being perfectly honest. I mean, it was awful. Like that got to be sensitive to what was going on around, obviously. But a lot of people, the weather was ridiculous. Work was a little bit like, what the hell's going on? Lots of people drank. Lots of people kind of went, oh, sod it, you know. And I think I think because what was going on around us was so alien and so disjointed and troubling, perhaps people's ways of coping were to kind of fall back into let's enjoy ourselves. And then the second and the third lockdown was a bit more. I mean, the third one was was grim over Christmas, but I definitely saw that that in the second lockdown there was far more like work started to put out more talks around well being, mental health nutrition all of all of those kind of talks and, and lifestyle kind of talks were 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 far more prevalent i think by the time it came to lockdown number three like you said it was nothing like lockdown number one and people no. were fed up the weather was different it was you know we'd all just missed christmas oh, yeah. january january february is just dark and rubbish anyway yeah yeah and people hadn't been able to spend christmas with their families it was like an awful time people were so sick of everything that was going on and what was yeah. happening and it was 
yeah, like you say, it's weird to talk about the pandemic and the last 18 months because there were so many different stages of them. So talking yeah. about a lockdown in general, you can't because all three lockdowns were completely... I mean, lockdown number two didn't even feel like a lockdown, did it? Did anyone actually work from home? I don't, I don't know, but... Oh, and the whole, you know, if you look back at last summer, the whole eat out to help out thing, which when you look back is a kind of bonkers. <laughs> it was like two, it was like month here, two two month episodes of various different kind of different mentalities. The good thing was at least that... It, for a large part of it, there was this shared experience, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of applied worldwide as well. I know, obviously, there was different lockdowns in different countries and different rules and regulations, but it was a worldwide thing that people were going through and it was yeah. affecting everyone, whether you were of different lifestyles, different cultures, etc., etc. It was something that everyone was going through. Mm. And I know for kind of like the business world, entrepreneurs, the startup world... It could be quite a lonely place. Obviously, we talk about working from home. I know a lot of founders obviously kind of didn't necessarily work from an office nine or five before, but there was workspaces and events and stuff like that. And yeah. you picked up on this, didn't you? And obviously, um, I'm bringing us to the topic of conversation of Founders Corner. I don't want to take your announcement, not an announcement, because obviously we've had an event, but yeah, I didn't want to steal your thunder. But yeah, this is what I was playing at. So obviously you had this fantastic idea and I want to ask you now about that. Where did the idea came from? What what was it that kind of like brought this to your attention? Well, look, I mean, what you, you alluded to the fact that prior to the pandemic, you know, but certainly if you're in the, the, the vicinity of London or Manchester, Leeds, any of the big cities, Birmingham, you could basically go to an event every single night of the week if you wanted to particularly in Manchester and London, always something going on. And obviously my job involves talking to founders and, 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 and CEOs all of the time. And one person, I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning who, Carly Reid, someone who I placed in a job when I was a recruiter years ago, years and years and years ago, had been in the States for a number of years, working in a very senior job uh, within the media industry and came back to the UK having had a, a startup idea. And she was living at home initially with her mum and dad while she was trying to get this startup off the ground, Yearn Club. And she'd been out of the UK tech market for a while. And she was finding it difficult to connect to other founders and to other startups in, in the way that you normally would, because there weren't all those events that you could go to. And people were a bit fatigued with, with Zoom and it's not, it's not the easiest thing to network on, that's for sure. And now there, I think there is there has been this this yearning for people to get back together. And funnily enough, I was at a conference, as you know, I was at a conference yesterday, and there was this sense that the people who were there genuinely wanted to be there. So footfall was perhaps lower than you might expect, but it was really, really engaged. And on Tech Talks a few weeks ago, I was talking to Dream Factory founder Graham who's opened up a space in Shoreditch for founders to go and create content. And, and that's got a real buzz about it. People want to get back in person and talking to each other. Now, the Founders Club is virtual. So I'm kind of saying, hey, people want to get back in touch and, and, and see each other. But there is also this awareness, I think, that there's something to be said for the fact that there is this global community at the same time. And because of the way that technology has been adopted and, and evolved during the pandemic, you do now have these platforms that are kind of getting lumped under this phrase of the metaverse where 
it's not Zoom. You are in a in a virtual space that you can navigate and that work on proximity and that you walk up to someone and have a genuine conversation with them. And I think I think those will survive and flourish because as much as you want to get in person and you will make the effort to go into London, Manchester, whatever else, or overseas for a big event, I have no doubt that CES will be well attended in the new year. People also will probably be quite happy to jump on a call where they can have a genuine conversation and it's not Zoom with people because there is this global community and there is this access to that global community. And with Tech Talks, we've got 500-odd episodes, no, 430-odd episodes, 500-odd interviews worth of, of people that this kind of latent community that we've not really put together as well as we could have done in the past. And it's just that combination of, okay, people want to have a way to meet up this global thing's a good thing. Like, let's not make it just again about being get to London, get to Manchester, get to whatever event, because that's actually quite exclusive and not everyone can afford to go to CES or Web Summit or whatever else. And not everyone has the ability to get to London. So let's make sure that there is still a place where they can meet virtually, but in a way that replicates that yearning to meet properly and and not over Zoom. So it's that, it's that aspect of let's reconnect people but do it in a way that makes sure that, you know, we're not trying to replicate or replace the the in-person meetup, which is so much fun and feels very natural again immediately when you start doing it, but create something that people can still kind of make those connections regardless. Definitely. And like you say, like people have been opened up to this virtual world now where before, where we would be going to webinars and talks um, it's not just an hour long talk or it's not just a half a day show it's getting up to London or getting up to Manchester yeah. and then you know queuing up then you probably go for something to eat afterwards and then getting home it's not just that you know two hour long event and where you do that online it is just that two hour long event or whatever but yeah. like you say there's definitely a need for both and people are eager to oh. get back out there people, people will make the effort to get into London but I think they'll be more discerning and, you know, when I say London, that's a, that's a very kind of, it's a coverall for everywhere. Just happens to be influenced by the fact that it's 30 miles away from me. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I think this, this online community is great. And Founders Club, you've, you've done the first session. A pilot. It was fun. A pilot. The tech worked. Exactly. I was, I was going to say, tell us a little bit more about how it works. Because it's not just like a Zoom, like you said. You're not just logging on and seeing someone's face. Talk yeah. us through your visionary with that because it's seeing it is very, very cool. Well, it's it's the, the best way that I can describe it is if anyone played Pokemon or Legend of Zelda on like a SNES or a Game Boy or, you know, or even if they click on if they clicked on Google during the Olympics or the Paralympics, there was like there was like a 90s because of because of the Japanese video game heritage. But that 90s kind of RPG walk around this top down 2D world. And it's a similar thing. You've got an avatar, you're in a 2D world, it's top down, but you can walk around it and you can walk up to other avatars. And when you walk up to another avatar, their video comes into view. And if you walk away from them, their video disappears. So you're in this virtual space and it works on, on proximity. And all we've done is replicate a park corner, like Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. And by that, there are a couple of microphones and founders can come in and talk about the issues facing their businesses. And they can go, right, you know, we've got funding challenges or we've got cultural challenges and this is what's going on within our business right now or struggling to scale. And it's an environment where there will hopefully be 15, 20, 25 other founders once a month who will be listening to this this 
that's quite a lightning talk. It's probably the closest thing that I can think of. Uh, and then they can go, all right, actually, maybe maybe you should think about X, Y, or Z. And it's so fantastic because I love the fact that you walk up to someone and you can join in the conversation or you walk, walk away from someone and you like leave the conversation. It's actually better than real life because like one of the guys who runs the software was saying, in real life, if there's a group of people, it's sometimes really hard to walk up to them and join and, yeah. you know, find an in where you just want to, you don't want to push in and be like, hi, I'm Anna, but you want to join in and be a part of this group conversation. Whereas virtually, that is so much easier that you just kind of come along, start listening, and when there's a gap, talk. And then, again, obviously not kind of encouraging people to walk away from others but again if you're in a conversation that you've had enough of in real life that is very hard to walk away from but in founders corner you just press the arrow and you're gone and you can even go oh sorry didn't mean to oh i've gone <laughs> the cat stood on the arrow button i've just walked away <laughs> no i think it's such a fantastic idea and yeah i love it i think it's definitely something that's needed and it's just bringing people together and obviously there has been kind of initiatives and things that have tried to do that during the last 18 months but like you say everyone is zoomed out everyone is like a virtual conference is not the same as a real life one and there has been some that you know have successfully networked slightly afterwards but i think this is this was the missing puzzle piece my only thing is why didn't you think of it sooner Ah oh, well, I'm sure that I'm sure there are similar things out there already, or, or if not, there there will be soon. I mean, the thing about the virtual conference piece, right? There are some great platforms. I think that five years down the line, virtual conferences will be huge because five years down the line, I would imagine like the one thing that you now know that big tech is pushing for in a big way is virtual reality because they see the potential for adoption. It's not, it's not that the technology hasn't existed, but it's getting cheaper and people kind of are more prepared to adopt this kind of stuff now because they've been at home and they want to find ways of connecting. And yeah, if, if, a, if a good virtual, like a genuinely immersive virtual environment is kind of put out there, yeah, then, then I imagine that will take off in the next few years. We'll watch this space and I'll get you back on in five years' time when they've blown up <laughs> and I'll, uh, I'll play this back to you. <laughs> Well, for people who are listening, how can they get involved with us? Ah, so if they're if they're leading a scale up or a startup, then the group exists on LinkedIn. I suppose the one of the easiest ways might be to follow Tech Talks or or, or Startups Magazine and chat to any one of us there. But we can send you an invite. Well, it is just Founders Corner on LinkedIn, so you can also request an invite there. It is aimed at people who are leading scale up and startups it's got a bit of a narrow focus in that regard it's still a kind of it's 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 tech enabled but it and it's sector agnostic but that is the, the idea that it's it's people who are going through those similar experiences but equally if you're you know someone who works in tech and and just wants some extra content whilst startups magazine is there and and is wonderful in in print form then the podcast is there as an audio that might be might be another thing to listen to definitely if people haven't listened to tech talks already 100 percent, go and listen to them i've listened to quite a few i might go listen to some of the beginning ones after this actually but i've listened to quite a few and they they are great episodes uh, let's say you're my podcast inspiration i shouldn't be but i'm quite prepared to to to, to sound stupid on the show which is i think a, a good thing no i love it well my final question for you then is what is next uh, any big plans for the future tech talks founders corner harvey nash david savage what's next for you i mean 
my role as group technology evangelist, which is terribly American, is all about kind of growing that digital footprint for the Harvey Nash group. So this year has all been about kind of getting those channels right. So we've got a video series called In Conversation With, which are interviews with the likes of kind of directors from NASA and, and F1, so Williams Racing, for example. And then obviously there's there's the podcast. What we haven't been able to do for the last two years is go, these are these are content channels that we can take out on the road and we can take to other people's events. I don't want them to exist in, in isolation online. I want to be able to go to an event and go, we can come and, and support you and create content. And it's not a sell. It's a, it's a non-commercial partnership rather, but in return for lots of content, share it amongst your audience. So my hope is 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 to take those formats and take them on the road and, and get out there and sit down and, and record conversations out in the real world again. I think that's that's the next that's the next 12 months. I never really looked too much further forward than that. Kind of make it up as I go along. See see what happens with that and then go, oh yeah, that, that might work. Well, I think with the current situation of the world, I think not planning too far ahead is definitely a good idea. I mean, I know we're coming out the other side. I'm not jinxing it or whatever. But yeah, I think baby steps and yeah, just entering the real world again is super exciting. I'll look forward to seeing all that. And thank you so much for being my guest today. No, thank you for your time. It's lovely to chat. Serial Entrepreneur.